welcome to another episode of Turn Left. I am your host, Indiana's own Dana Black, coming to you live. Yes, all the way live from Black Girl Studios, where we talk about Indiana politics from the left side of things. You know what? I I am really like pretty much over, completely over the Republicans in our General Assembly. I just don't know what else to say. But before I get started on my rant tonight, how about our president? He got it in. You know, he brought the funk. You know, he, he brought some fire. They wasn't ready for him. He was like, yo, we got to secure our borders. Can't talk about that one, Republicans. Yo, we want to fund the police. We don't want to defund the police. Can't talk about that one. We, he hit him straight in the head, in the eyeballs, gave him a couple one-twos. And then the Iowa governor, Governor Kim Reynolds, came on right after and started spewing all those hateful lies. Just lying, lying, lying. He just got through telling you what he believes in, and it just wasn't good enough for you. So you had to make it up. And it's all good, because he set you up, and you didn't even, you weren't quick enough on your feet to alter what you needed to do. It's all good. Your lies are coming back on you. But he killed it. The president, he's human. He showed you that he's human. Happy birthday, buddy. I loved it. I was like, yo, I want a president to wish me happy birthday like that. I was feeling some kind of way. But he also talked about Ukraine, and he put the gauntlet down. He's coming for their yachts, coming for their money. He told them, we coming for your money. Keep on playing. <coughs> but on a real tip, I know that a lot of us capitalists, <clears throat> and I say us as in, you know, we Americans, we tend to put bank accounts ahead of lives, but we got to put lives first. And what is happening over there in Ukraine, people are dying. There are also some Africans who, from Nigeria who are being mistreated, but not, we're not going to go there tonight. What I want, the reason why I even bring it up, because I talked about it last week, I have a dear friend, a young man who has been a stalwart in our Democratic Party, who has family over there. If you can, please, everyone, send a shout-out to my friend, Nick Belayev. He he's got some family over there. Go to his page. He's worried about his kinfolk. He's a teacher up in, in northwest Indiana. He's an amazing young man, and I know that he is stressing, worrying about his kinfolk. So if y'all can, give my boy Nick a shout-out. Let him know we love him, and we're sending positive energy to him and his family. You never know who you know. We got, we got connections all over the globe right here in Indiana, so... Nick, I love you, brother, and I'm sending you sending you all that positive energy. All right. This afternoon, my senator, my state senator, Senator Bro, tweeted out, in a dishonest but not unexpected move, the supermajority recreated HB 1077, inserting its language into SB 209. Should it pass, SB 209 would remove the requirement for a permit to carry a handgun. After receiving this bill, the supermajority refused to hear testimony and left the committee, leaving my Democratic colleagues to hear from Hoosiers who had come down to voice their concern. Now, I find it interesting that the same party that, you know, sneakily, underhandedly, without transparency, decided to insert some language and not give people proper public notice that they were going to do such a thing is the same group of individuals who passed 
HB 1130, which is heading to the governor's desk, which is requiring public testimony in school board meetings. And let's be clear, school board members don't actually get paid where the people in the state house do. I'm gonna need y'all to wrap y'all's head around all of that hypocrisy, if you can. Cause it's a struggle for me. The hypocrisy, you, you all moaned and groaned about the, it's so necessary to have parents input in school boards. Well, I'm a citizen and I think it's necessary about having input on who can carry a gun without a permit. I just want y'all to think on that. And to sum it all up, Indiana State Police Superintendent Douglas Carter even said, I never remember a time when outside influence of national associations or political posturing became the driving force behind legislation in our great state until now. The police, you know, the ones we want to fund and y'all want to get behind and all of them, they said we need to have permits so that we can track people who have guns. We need to have background checks. But these clowns, yep, I said it, they don't want that. And because they know that you might actually be worried about those things, they didn't even stick around to hear what you had to say. I don't know, it's time for us to flip some seats in that state house, y'all, but I ain't done. We did have a little bit of good news, but I wanna put it in context because it might not be dead either. That language might show up somewhere we least expect it to. HB 1134 died. We can clap our hands to that the language that was basically the anti, we really ain't teaching CRT in schools, making it impossible for teachers to keep up with the curriculum that they have to share online, all these other things, right? But, but I want y'all to think about something. SB 167, which is the sister bill to HB 1134, died in the Senate after Senator Baldwin made the dumb old remark about teaching, you know, both sides of Nazism, right? Remember that bill died? Remember it died after he said something really, 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 really stupid? Because we know we don't want it to seem like this bill is about race, right? HB 1134 coincidentally died after Representative Banning suggested that black kids don't rep uh, respect education. Huh, because you know, Ain't none of these bills about race until you hear them say the quiet part out loud. You know, Representative Banning should have just went on ahead and said, well, you know, black folks care more about going to jail than they do going to college. That's what he really wanted to say. Come on now. The stereotypical tropes that are coming out of these people who are writing policies that impact our lives is important. We cannot continue to send people back to, the, to our state house who don't see us and don't represent us and don't care about us. Only thing they care about is getting our money. This is real talk. These folks are hurting us. They are harming us. They are not doing the things that are necessary to protect us as Hoosiers. We saw what the impact of them not investing in our state could do during COVID. I'm still waiting on the Lieutenant Governor to get her rural high-speed internet initiative going. Still waiting on it. She even got some Build Back Better and infrastructure funds. Still waiting on her to get that done. Y'all, y'all. sometimes we want to tune out and not pay attention to what's happening in our state house because it, it, it's, it's just Indiana.
it's much more glamorous and flashy to, to hear what's going on at, at the national level. But here you have a constitutional carry language inserted into another bill that you didn't know about until the last minute and you really didn't get a chance to lobby it. You had lawmakers who, I'm okay, I'm not going to call them racist, but they say and do racist things. So if you don't want me to call you a racist, please stop doing racist things. But anyway, they keep writing legislation and then they say the quiet part out loud. We need people who understand from a holistic point of view all of the citizens of Indiana. There are six million Hoosiers plus. And right now, too many of us are being marginalized. And y'all already know my heart is broken about 1041, the, tra the trans bill, the anti-trans bill. You know I'm, my heart bro is broke about that. If you don't do anything else tonight, I'm going to give y'all, yep, y'all got a job assignment tonight. I sure am. I'm giving y'all homework. When y'all get done tonight, I need y'all to go find a candidate, be it in your neighborhood, be it in your county, be it in your district. Find somebody. Read what their platform is and then find a way to help them win their primary and then get ready to fight in the general. We've got it just like the ISTA showed up and showed out to get rid of HP 1134. I need y'all to show up and show out for these candidates because our lives depend on it. We are no longer playing. This is not hyperbole. Our lives depend on it. All right. That's my rant. It's my rant. I, I, I get a little hype when I think about how Hoosiers are being mistreated and it just, it breaks my heart. So, okay. Tonight's going to be a little different. Uh, you know, we, I like to educate and give y'all information. And of course I want to get as many candidates on in the primary, but I want us to think about things a little different tonight. So we're going to have a candidate. And then we're going to have some information. I love information. I might just nerd all the way out on y'all tonight. It might happen. It just might happen. First up, though, I had a chance to meet this, this leader, this business leader in our community years and years ago. And she has been incredibly consistent every time I am in her presence. She is currently in the primary running for Pike Township trustee. Y'all give it up for my girl, Miss Claudette Peterson. Claudette, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. That's what so I'm, I love that you are here. Thank you for making it happen. I love it. I love it. And of course, the bright shining star, the shooting star, the next governor of the state of Indiana. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> Soon as he meets, meets the age requirements, we're going to put him on the ballot. How about that? <laughs> I said it. Uh, I met him when he was in high school. He invited me out. We connected, and he has been consistent as well. Keep showing up. Keep working his heart out. He didn't help so many campaigns, knock doors, make phone calls. Now he's a data master. Y'all give it up for my friend. My guy, my little brother, Nick Roberts. Nick, <laughs> welcome back to the show. How you doing? Yeah, hey, Dana, thanks. First of all, thanks for having me on. You know, this sort of information I think is so important for people to understand the big picture of what we're fighting against in the state, but also 
Um, I just wanted to say thank you for giving a shout out to one of my, my best friends, Nick Belayev, who's really, you know, he's Ukrainian and also Russian, but his family in Ukraine is suffering so much right now. And I think sort of putting a human spin on something that's going on, you know, however many miles away is a really important way of sort of showing how important these things are. Um, but to bring it back to Indiana, obviously we have a lot, to, lot to fight against here, but I hope that, you know, with whatever I can tell you, yes, there might be some tough truths involved, but I hope there's at least hope for everybody that we'll be able to change things for the better and that we'll be able to win some good elections this year. Excellent. So, so what you know, I think do, there's a lot. Of, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, go ahead. What no, I'm going to do is I'm going to start with Claudette tonight because, you know, it, I've been fortunate. Our trustee races have, are, are packed this year in, in a lot of different counties or a lot of different townships in Marion County. I am so proud of every Democrat who has put their name on the ballot because the trustee's office is, is the one that's, that, that's the office that's helping people in need. Claudette, tell the people who you are and where you come from. Well, uh, as you know, uh, like you said, we met some years ago. Um, I'm originally from New York City, uh, was recruited from Madison Square Garden to come here and to run the security operations for the Wagner Corporation down at the convention center, the RCA dome at the time. Um, I've been pretty much uh, rooted and I think uh, pretty much accepted in this city. I love this city. Um, was looking for a home to come to, meaning leaving New York City to find a home. And I think I've found a home right here in Indianapolis. I had, I have had so much success um, in this community. It's unbelievable sometimes. I can't, um, I have to pinch myself. I truly do have to. I've been place. very blessed and fortunate to uh, be a resident here, to be a business owner, um, to be engaged with the community on a, on a broad sense, not just in Pike, but uh, uh, throughout the city, being a parks employee at one time, a parks manager, and then also going on to uh, be a township administrator for Lawrence Township. So to be able to um, be engaged on that level and being an, uh, an outsider, meaning not born here, um, is just unbelievable sometimes, it really is. Um, but due, due to the work that I've done in the community, not just here, but in New York City, um, and then coming across the opportunity to be on the Pike Legislative Board, uh, other, uh, known as the, the Advisory Board, I've gotten to um, experience some of the inner workings of the township business. And because of that, I've seen things that I believe need change. And, uh, and as, uh, uh, Joe Madison would say, if you see something that uh, is a problem, then you need to get involved and uh, be a part of it to make that change happen. And so that's why I'm running for the uh, trustee position. I think it's a unique position because to your point, Donna, uh, Dana, I'm sorry. That's all good. Um, it's a position that is very different from the other elected positions because you are directly responsible for helping people in the community. Right. Um, 
going into the, the grassroots sections of areas of our community here in Pike that are in need, um, that need some direction, that need to uh, have a helping hand to lift them over that hill that they may be climbing yeah. and to help some families maybe um, to get into a sustainable environment that they can thrive in. And uh, my, my, my vision is to make sure that happens for the people in this community. I love it. So what made you, you know, you said you grew up in New York, uh, and I'm, I'm glad that, you know, a New Yorker could, uh, saw that Hoosier hospitality and wanted to lay down some roots. But what was it in you that said that I wanted to be in public service? Well, public service started for me probably 45 plus years ago. And uh, it's kind of a long story, but it's worth telling because I believe it's really the root of who I am. Years ago in college, I was a tennis instructor and um, I came across a lot of uh, kids of color who were unfortunately either receiving public assistance or has some kind of diversity going on in their lives. And so through that program, I've met a young kid at the time, he might've been 12 years old. I taught him tennis. Years later, he became an individual that I was interested in. And uh, I had the opportunity of being a part of a scholarship program. And so he was one of those individuals I selected to be my young man to receive a scholarship. And unfortunately, because of his family situation, he was unable to accept that scholarship. And so I had to move on and give that scholarship to another young, young man. But I tell the story because years later, while I'm working at Madison Square Garden, the there, there was a voice, there was a voice in the crowd that kept yelling my name. And um, initially I could not connect the voice or where the voice was coming from. So I wound up leaving the area for a little while, returning to the area. The person just kept pursuing me by calling my name, still couldn't connect the voice with where he or the person was in the crowd. The third time just kept yelling. Finally, I connected with him, didn't know who he was. He waved at me. I suggested that he come down to where I was standing. So he wind up down at the bottom of the steps and he asked me, do you know who I am? And I said, no. And uh, he said, I'm Kevin Jenkins. And I'm the young man that used to teach tennis to. And I've been looking for you for years to let you know how you had impacted my life. And at that point, Dana, I just fell apart. Tears started rolling down my eyes. And, and at that point, I realized life is about one. If we all can just get one, we can make a difference in someone's life, in our city, in our state, in our nation. So that's where I'm coming from in reference to my public service. And I pray and hope that it's God's will I become the next trustee of Pike Township to continue that service. Ooh, that is a powerful, powerful statement. Whoa, those are the kind. See, that's why we do turn left because our politicians are humans, and it's about service. 
So it is. talk about some of the things that you've seen in Pike Township where you think once you become the trustee that you would like to put some emphasis or some focus on. Well, again, you know, from my years of experience in public service, Parks Department here uh, as a township administrator, I think one of the problems we have is looking at our position um, of service, where I think um, kind of uh, leaves the thought process of people out. Mm -hmm. We have a tendency, I think, to wear the title and not work the title. Mm. And, and because of that, people don't receive the service that they deserve to receive. And so some of the areas that I want to work, um, I want to start a work employment program. And what that is or what that looks like is that individual who may be receiving public assistance, work alongside the public assistance caseworker, bring that individual into the Pike Township operation, whether it be with the fire department or with the trustee's office to expose that individual to the work environment. Yeah. And also to hopefully connect that individual somewhere down the road with permanent employment, yeah. which then lifts that individual out of poverty. Yeah. The second thing I want to start is a scholarship program for this particular township. I don't think there's one not coming from a trustee's office, okay. probably okay. In, the, in, in the entire county, probably. So I want to start that also. I want to also uh, have an, uh, an advocates group. So what I want to do is currently on the board, we have five districts represented. So I want to take an individual from each district and that individual will be a part of an advocate group or committee that will then feed information into the trustee's office. So the trustee's office have a better understanding of what's really going on out there within the entire township. Okay. I also want to, and I, and, and well, this is pretty much out in the open. Uh, I also want to make sure when it comes to contracts, there is spending diversity. Oh, okay. We don't have enough of that in Pike Township. Okay. The tax dollars that we spend should reflect the body of people that live in Pike Township. Okay, I like that. I like that a lot because I know I get caught up um, as a as a person in service. I forget about the administrative part. So I'm glad that you brought that up because I'm always focused in on the human aspect. That, that's a good piece of, of information. All right, I'm gonna pivot just a little bit because you know I want to bring Nick in because guys, y'all, if you think a person's age determines their depth of knowledge that's because y'all ain't met nick nick welcome back to the show my friend thank you dana i appreciate that i really do love being on turn left i love having you know just being around other candidates and being in uh you know i i i, I as much as you like to be indiana zone i am born raised living in indianapolis so i i, I like to think i am you know a, a a founding member of the of the indiana's own community in terms of just having a lot of heart for Indiana that a lot of people my generation don't have. So I always love being here. I love it. So, so you know, Nick, uh, you seem to be a numbers geek 
talk, what was your, tell us your interest in understanding how the maps are drawn and what the numbers mean. What, where did that interest come from? Hmm. Yeah, honestly, I'm not really sure where exactly it came from. I guess at a young age, although it's kind of fallen off as the years have gone on, I, I love just like basic math. But I think more than that, it was a map thing. I've always been really interested in maps. And actually, my great-grandfather, who unfortunately passed away a few months ago, we would just look at maps all day. And just I I've always had a fascination with states and cities and all those you know, geographic uh, uh, units. Um, and I think it is naturally blended into politics too. Like looking at electoral maps is one of just my hobbies, I guess. I just, you know, I can go through the, his, you know, historic years, historical years and all the previous elections. And um, I think it lends really well to, because our state party, uh, I feel like they're, and it's probably the case of most state parties, they're sort of a, uh, it's not really anybody that does that or there's people that do it, but not as much as there could be. And it could be communicated better to candidates. What, you know, are the best ways of going about certain districts. Um, so I think just sort of my natural, you know, early interest in math and maps has been a very natural pathway towards getting interested in political mapping and, you know, making the maps themselves isn't really that difficult. It's just a matter of getting the data and everything. And, I, I really enjoy every layer, layer of it. So even if it wasn't useful, I would still probably do it anyways because I think it's fun. I love so. it. Now, you said that you love maps and we already know that you are a lover of politics and the political science of it all. You mm. know, when you redistricting, we knew it was going to be uh, somewhat not in our favor. When yeah. you, we're going to go through the numbers, but once you finished dissecting the information, what was your initial reaction? Yeah. Um, so the, the maps came out on different days, but I was expecting bad and some things were not as bad as I expected, but some things were worse than I expected. Um, in particular, I would argue the Senate map of the three being the congressional, the Indiana Senate and the Indiana house, the Senate map to me is by far the worst. Um, not even for Indianapolis in particular, but because of how they split up so many communities around the state. Fort Wayne is a perfect example. Um, the city is split in four different directions, having like a Northwest district, Southwest district, a Southeast district and Northeast district. Um, and it's going to be four Republicans most likely being elected. Um, whereas, you know, in any logical map, it would be a pretty easy one or two districts in the city. Um, but you know, some of those districts go all the way to like Richmond, Indiana, or to like nearly Elkhart. Right. So they go so far away from the city. But obviously, it's to dilute the, you know, particularly the minority population that's living in Fort Wayne, who deserves to have a district that represents their interest. Um, the same thing applies to Evansville, the, the West Lafayette, Lafayette area. Um, there's so many of the, the kind of mid-sized cities around Indiana who really should have one representative in their city who are unfortunately really not given that at all. Um, the House map and the congressional map, sort of similar things. Um, Fort Wayne should... Fort Wayne is, for whatever reason, such an easy punching bag for them. Um, I'm not really sure why, but they've kind of been unlucky with a lot of the different drawings of the different maps. Um, and there have been quite a few congressional map decisions that have been pretty controversial, too. But overall... I have an idea. Sure, go ahead. I'm just, I mean, and this is just me speculating, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the way that I said speculating should let you know this is about to yeah, be yeah. something. You know, <laughs> Indian Indianapolis... Uh, there's only so much you can do 
in trying to divide that community up, especially the way our neighborhoods are. We are, yes, there are specific areas of our city that are demographically divided up, right? But for the most part, even most of our, there are a lot of our white brothers and sisters who are Democrats. Even some of our wealthier residents are Democrats. So it's kind of hard to like divvy up a specific area. So they're like, you know what? Okay, let's not mess around with that one. We'll go ahead and give them a few folk out of there. And, and it's kind of hard to mess with, with Lake County too, right? Yeah, but Fort that's exactly Wayne right. Being the see, Fort Wayne being the second largest city in our state, it, it, it's, it's an easy punch because he, you'll get more noise for messing with, in, from, with Marion County and you will Lake County, but who really pays attention to Allen County, right? And then you have Fort Wayne in the middle of Allen County, right? I, I just have, it's just my takeaway. They, they go for the low, you know, the low hanging fruit. Who can, we, who can we divide up? And what's crazy, and you already noticed, Nick, Fort Wayne has such a, a rich, an active Hispanic community. So it's not even just black folk you got to worry about in Fort Wayne. You got Latinos, they're active. I mean, I've, there's been a Latino out of Fort Wayne on the ballot for a position every year that I've been around. Mm -hmm. So I just, I mean, nope, I may be wrong in that. Claudette, I'm putting you on the spot. Do you have an idea on why <laughs> they may be messing up these maps. <laughs> no, you ain't got to dive into that. I, pro I, I probably do, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I'll call you later, Dana. Uh <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay. Dana, so I got you. Another big one about Fort Wayne too is Fort Wayne also has the biggest Burmese population outside of Myanmar in the entire world. So they have got a huge Burmese population, which has been split up into all the districts too. Yeah. We don't want to give them a voice now, do we? Why would we want yeah. that to happen? Why would we actually want, you know, taxation and representation? Why would we want that? <laughs> so I've got your first slide up. Um, and you know what, Claudette, I don't want you to feel like you're not a part of this conversation. So if you see something, if you have questions that you want to ask Nick, jump on in there. So I'm going to go ahead and go oh, to sure. your second slide. And it's got the two Indiana. The two congressional maps, yeah. So I would say the big change on paper that people would probably make note of um, was there's really only one significant change in the two maps is that they moved um, in terms of like big political ramifications. They moved Marion County, the north side of it, which I'm a, I'm a, I'm a resident of. Um, they moved it from the fifth district, which was very competitive in 2020, and they moved it down to the seventh district. Uh, so they went from Victoria Sparts to Andre Carson. This is a pretty obvious reason why they did this. The fifth, the fifth district part of Marion County is a lot of wealthier areas that were traditionally a lot more Republican. that are now pretty democratic and they were making the district very competitive. Um, so now they just move those down to the seventh. And unfortunately it's leaving the fifth district a lot less competitive now yeah. than it was two years ago. I will say, there are a few good candidates running in that race, in particular my friend Matt Hall. Um, I think he's a vet. He's a veteran, obviously. Um, he's just gonna be a really strong candidate. Um, but I think it'll be a lot tougher to win now than people were hoping it would be. Uh, but overall, the congressional districts really have not changed significantly. Well, but that six and nine maps, changed pretty good down there. They, they did. They did. I, I I would argue that they changed a good amount, but the political ramifications is not really going to be anything. Um, they swapped some turf. 
And that was, I think, a byproduct of having to move the fifth round is they had to add things. They'd add things to the sixth. So it moved everything around. But I, I, I wouldn't argue that it's going to change anything really. Unfortunately, the sixth and ninth are still very tough districts. Um, and I should give one uh, prefaces to Dana. And this is one thing I'm just, I'm very passionate about because there's a lot of people that will doom and gloom all day about redistricting. And they'll say, you know what? They'll throw up their hands in the air and say, if these maps aren't fair, why compete? And it's true, they're not super fair, but the reality is whether the maps are Democratic favored, neutral, Republican favored, the only way we're gonna flip back Indiana, even if they were Democratic favored, we wouldn't flip back Indiana unless we work hard. And whether we, you know, regardless of the circumstances, if you're wanting to donate to a campaign, if you're not gonna do it because it's gerrymandered, don't make that your reason. Exactly. If you're gonna volunteer for a campaign, do it anyways. If you're gonna knock doors for a camp, like regardless of your reason, these should be a reason to fight more, not less. Exactly. And it bothers me how so many people give it like it's some excuse as to why they just wanna, again, throw up their hands and do nothing. When in reality, it should be a motivator of what we're fighting against and how many things we have uh, you know, to go uphill against. Um, so I really think that, yes, it's discouraging a little bit, but another thing, Dana, and this is another point I don't see being brought up enough is redistricting is fluid. You know, a perfect example of that is house district 88, which you ran for in 2016. I worked on the campaign for in 2018 against Brian Bosman, who was the speaker of the house in 2012. When that district was drawn, it was one of the most Republican districts in Indiana. And the same case can be made for a lot of other districts around Hamilton County in the North side of Indianapolis. But those districts moved so much over the course of 10 years. I mean, it eventually got to the point where it was a 10-point race. And the same thing happens for a lot of other districts, too. JD Ford's the same way. You know, nobody thought that district would flip because it had so much Republican area. But JD Ford worked hard and he did it. So when we're talking about these things, long-term or short-term, yes, it's going to be tough for these candidates. But long-term, there's always potential to grow in these areas. And I really do not think it's a death sentence for our party at all. And in fact, it should be a motivator to really get a lot of things done. And hopefully by the end of the decade, we'll make a lot more progress on these well, maps. And you know, the other, and I want to piggyback off of what you just said there. Yes, work for those districts. Those districts uh, can flip, they can do a lot of different squirrely things. But just as important, if you get the turnout in that di those districts, that's going to help our statewide candidates. Exactly. So we, we, we yeah. know, listen, we some of these counties have 8,000 people, right? Marion County has almost a million people and about 600,000 of those are registered voters. We know that we can turn Indiana blue. We just got to turn, turn out the communities. Even if we're all packed into the same district, we can still have an impact on those statewide races. And you never know, okay. you turn out enough of them, you might right. surprise some people. So, so the first map hey, is hey, the hey. congressional district map. There's some, just some different changes between uh, what, what was drawn in 2010 and what was drawn in 2020. Did you want to say something else about that congressional map? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have, I have uh, uh, questions for Nick um, and, uh, and probably you because you're, you're very knowledgeable. Um, how, how much from a standpoint, back to your, your point, Dana, I remember said, you know, packing, um, how much does do we have to really um, re-educate folk in reference to the censors, in reference to voting? I, I, I think part of, seems to me, part of the, the problem is engaging the community. And we don't do enough of that on, on every level. And um, 
and and I just think if we were to educate them in whatever way, how it was Facebook, Instagram, TV, whatever the case may be, I think you know we just don't look at the entire universe when it comes to making sure that we have that engagement on the level we need to have that engagement. You want to take that one, Nick? Start? Yeah, I mean, it, I think redistricting is by nature sort of like an insular political issue. It's not going to be the flashy issue that affects everybody's lives. But if we're able to communicate, particularly with the younger generations, the impact that these policies have on a long-term scale, I think that does make a difference, you know? And I'm not sure what exactly it will take. Obviously, a you know, multilateral sort of marketing campaign from our party and other nonpartisan organizations to promote it on a fair way. Um, but I think there's a lot of need for that, as you pointed out, and particularly with my generation, I think there's obviously a noticeable disconnect between that and, you know, everybody else. Well, and, and I agree. I, um, like he says, redistricting is an insular uh, matter. One of the things that I have always tried to do, because your question I heard when I ran four years ago, and the, and the work that I, I did for the party when I was deputy chair was, how do we engage? Well, the, I felt like one of the best ways to do that was, hey, show up, not keep, stop waiting for people to come to you. You go to them, right? And you show up or wherever they're having those conversations. And then you connect the, the, an issue or you, you find out what they're interested in and you connect them with a policy that is to whatever issue that they're concerned about, for example, you know, if you're talking to a single parent who is struggling with childcare, we can talk about policies that are, have been crafted in the state house that have been helpful or harmful to, to that and the importance of making sure you know who's standing behind which piece of policy. Or if you are in, in, in agro in Indiana and you're worried about, you know, how climate change is impacting or how industrial waste is impacting your agro business, you find out how who's writing the policies that are impacting the way regulations are put down. And and it takes time, but you said something, Claudette, that, that mattered early on. If you get one, you make a difference. So you really have to have those one-on-one, -on -one, you, you find yourself in a big group, right? And then you, you drill it down one-on-one -on -one and find out what people, what, what, what motivates people. And they will turn out and they will turn their homies out that care about the same thing they care about. And that, and to me, that's how you, it's a spider whip. That's how you get people engaged, but it's never ending. It never stops. It's not cyclical. It's not a thing where, okay, campaign season's over. Ooh, I can rest. No, <laughs> you don't get to rest, which is why, and I'm going to do a plug, which is why I do turn left. I do turn left all of the time. So I'm bringing you the candidates and we're having these conversations and it's free and you don't have to leave. You can share it. You can, you know, hear so there's multiple ways to do it. Um, but yeah, good question. Okay. Yeah, and I can... Claudette be the host. All right, I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to go to map number two now. Okay. Yeah. With, is that the, uh, this the state is the Indiana map? state Senate districts, old and new. Um, and you yeah. have the Indiana map on the left with a highlight of, uh, what is that? The number based on 2020 presidential results in old new yeah. districts, open seats, plus minus incumbents. And it's got a chart. Yeah. And, and so, as I mentioned, I think there's quite a few just really egregious cities that got split up. Um, but if we were to 
drill down and say, okay, what can we do to fight back? I'll highlight four races that I think will be very competitive. Not very competitive necessarily, but I think there's only four that are on paper, you know, close to 50-50. There can be some that can emerge as sleeper options, depending on what candidates really stand out. But four that I think will be really interesting is District 1 and Districts 4, which are pretty similar. Um, both the incumbents being um, Frank Mervan Sr., Frank Moran Jr. is the congressman. His dad has been a state senator up there forever. It's near Hammond, yep. um, I think near Muster and Highland now. But he, he, um, they caucused then, out, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. So he has a new replacement. His name is Michael Griffin. He's been the uh, the clerk mm -hmm. of Highland for like 30 years. And then the second one's kind of similar is District 4, which has Michigan City and Portage. Um, Karen Tallian, who's up there for a while too, she resigned. Now Rodney Pohl Jr. is the new state senator there. Both those districts are pretty unique because they've been Democratic for so long. Um, but, you know, those sort of areas are typically moving towards Republicans. But I have a hope we'll hold both those seats. But if you're in northern Indiana, districts one and four for the state Senate are really going to be really important ones to hold long term. To really show that, you know, we still have power with the unions. We still have power with blue collar you know, voters. And I, I know I got to know Ronnie Paul this week. He's a really nice guy. And I think he'll make a really strong candidate. He's also the first ever Latino in the state Senate, which is crazy to me that we've never had anybody of Hispanic descent in the state house as far as I know. So it's great for him. And I think a great representation of a different com community in India that's very underrepresented. Um, and then the second two or the last two are district 29, which is my friend JD Ford. Um, he got elected in 2018 the first openly LGBT elected official in Indiana. Um, that district is uh, more democratic on paper, but I think we just need to guarantee we lock that one down. JD is a phenomenal state senator, and they're going to pour in so much money to defeat him, as is the case with all these districts, that I think if you're in the Indianapolis area, that's a very worthwhile fight to have because um, he's, you know, just a great progressive Democrat and a state that needs a lot more and Good. he's a history maker, man. Come on. Like, yeah, I know. The conversation, so I, I'm encouraging everybody. Yeah, he, the conversation awesome. changes because he's our only LGBTQ plus uh, elected in that state house. So the conversation changes. And he, I mean, he, he, I had to send him positive, loving text messages during sessions so that yeah. <laughs> he, knew, he knew the fight because poor man, he, man. And he's in Wayne Township, Pike Township, uh, Zinesville, and uh, West Carmel. So he's got quite a large uh, swath of area. He's probably the, one of the most gerrymandered states in the districts too. So the so district 29? Is 29, okay. yeah. And the last one I'll bring up is 31, which is the only currently Republican held um, uh, Senate that I think is incredibly competitive. I live in 31 too. It's got all of Fishers and then uh, the Geist area of Lawrence Township. Um, the current uh, the, the, the former Senator Jim Merritt was in there forever, too, but he resigned last year. Um, and Kyle Walker is the new senator there. Um, and we have a really good candidate on our, on our hands, too, Jocelyn Bear. Yes. She was the first her Democrat elected to the Fisher City Council. I think she'll make a very strong candidate. Um, so if there's any seat that we might flip this year, I think 31 is the strongest uh, contender for that. So between all those seats, 1, 4, 39, 29 and 31 are the four that I'm really looking for this year okay. on the state Senate side. Okay, Nick is giving y'all districts for y'all to go do some homework. I told y'all to go yeah. do some homework. All around the state. All around, all the, around state. the state. <laughs> I got some for Southern Indiana too. Okay, okay. So I'm going to go ahead and go to your last <laughs> slide, slide number four. 
All right. This is the yeah, proposed so, new Indiana State House. I assume that uh, there's some tweaking going on. Proposed. What do you mean? Oh, well, you had proposed on there, so oh. I guess it's final, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, they actually tweaked the Senate map like a week before that was finalized, but that's another story for another day. Um, but uh, there are quite a few interesting um, state house maps or state house districts too, uh, and. I, I could go over like 10 or 15 of them because the house map is much larger of a playing field. There's pretty much competitive districts in every corner of the state. I, I, I what's the district? I can't, is it 62, right? The one that's in uh, Bloomington? Yeah, yes. The one that Penny no. Githens and uh, Swain are running in the primary. Yes. And that's going to be probably the most competitive open seat. Um, they drew that seat pretty much out of nowhere, but that's going to be a really interesting one, too, to follow if you're in southern Indiana, which is why I want to give a plug. If you're in southern Indiana, that one's going to be really competitive. Go get, give that one a help, um, whoever ends up making it out of the primary down there. Obviously, in Marion County and, you know, Hamilton County, there are a variety of seats, particularly in Hamilton County, that are becoming a lot more Democratic, that Republican incumbents still hold. Um, there's also quite a few. There's pretty much house, competitive house seats everywhere across the state. Well, that's good. Um, yeah, and I think that's a great thing, and that's kind of a nature of having smaller districts is you can't gerrymander them out as much. So if you're wanting a competitive uh, race to follow and you're not in northwest Indiana or central Indiana to follow, there's probably going to be a competitive house seat too. There's also District 82, which is a newly Democratic seat in uh, Fort Wayne, which I feel like we're probably going to flip. Um, there's a few people running up there. Um, so if you're wanting a Fort Wayne district that's going to be competitive – 82 is the district for you, uh, you know, and we're going to have to really do our best to hold on to some of the seats that are more ancestrally democratic areas like Muncie, Anderson, uh, Terre Haute to make sure that we hold on to those seats. Uh, you know, we have Arrington, uh, Terry Joe Austin, you know, a few other people, uh, Tanya Path that are in those seats that are really good Democrats too, that we want to make sure we keep their uh, seats in democratic. You think control. we'll see so a Chris Chung siding? I hope so. I'm a big Chris Chung fan. So if Chris Chung wants to pop up again, I, I, I'll be a big supporter of his. And I think he would definitely make things exciting up in Northwest Indiana. I know that they made some of the Northwest Indiana seats less competitive too, unfortunately, but you know, what can you do about it? We still got to fight anyways. People thought he couldn't flip it last time. So yeah. I think he can flip it again. So I want to, I want to bring Claudette back in. Cause that's a lot of mapping. Yeah. <laughs> that was a whole lot of mapping. <laughs> Woo, Claudette. Ooh, come on, because I, yes. you know, I want to. You know what? First of all, yo, Nick, keep doing what you do. Um, and I, I know that there are campaigns out there that are looking to hire, hire some young talent to help them understand their win numbers and how to, you know, get to the right people. You can hire Nick because he's. <laughs> worth the money i understand that you need volunteers but for that skill set you can throw some coins in his pocket all right so claudette speaking of coins <laughs> we 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 are we saw in the state house uh this past week where they are raising the requirements on snap benefits um it, you know they they make it seem like people don't want to work now mind you unemployment is down to hardly nothing right but they want to make it seem like 
you know, you you know what they're doing, but you they make it want to seem like people are being lazy and they don't want to go to work. Well, a lot of the reason why people can't go to work is because childcare is too expensive. <laughs> they're spending all their money. But talk to to the people uh, about what it means when you have to deal with when families have to deal with all of these extra requirements just to be able to get food and the basics for their home. I want I want to go back to the we had the science. Now let's go back to the social. Well, listen, I, I'm going to uh, share some personal stuff with you. So this way, you know that I'm, I'm coming from a, a real standpoint um, when I talk about people, my commitment to service, and how I view people. I am a product of uh, public assistance, okay? Um, and, and I saw how my mom struggled to raise us um, and did her best. She was a woman that was born during the Depression, and so she had to come out of school at grade four to help her parents. And, um, and so because she was uneducated, but a very wise and smart woman, um, she had to, um, we had to live off of public assistance. And so to have that kind of, um, uh, live in that kind of environment was very challenging because as a young woman growing up, I wanted to be like my classmates and wear the type of shoes they wore and not have to go into the basement of a of a uh, a department store because my mom could only afford the ninety nine cent pair of shoes right. as opposed to the five dollars ninety nine cents pair of shoes. So I I, I feel them. I, I know them. I've lived it. Um, not very long ago, going through a divorce and um, no longer working in corporate America, I myself came up against. Uh, financial challenges and got that knock on the door by the sheriff's department to foreclose on my on my home. Mm. Again, I relate. I understand. And I think what happens is they 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 put people into this barrel. And and, and this is the, the challenge I have with these two words that I dislike very seriously is poor relief because everybody who's in need not necessarily poor exactly. that is going through that particular challenge in their lives um and so one of the things i want to do like i said earlier is start this work employment program to maybe help lift one or two or three families out of that situation show them a new path a different path because sometimes it's just a matter of you living in this bubble that you don't see any way out of. And society in itself, I, I, I think it's just a way of creating poor and rich. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's, it's just a, 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 an issue that as a nation, even though you know, we're the greatest nation on the earth and I wouldn't want to live anywhere else um, but we have our issues mm -hmm. with identifying um, 
poor people, doesn't make any difference whether you're green, yellow, black, white, or whatever. Uh, they, they put you all in this, put, put us all in this situation where we don't see any hope. And once people lose hope, it, it's, it's a challenge. Mm -hmm. It truly is a challenge. Mm -hmm. And so again, the importance of the trustee's office, I believe in my heart, is not just poor relief. It's about lifting some other individual or a family or it doesn't make any difference. It could be a man taking care of his children, trying to lift some folks out of poverty. And 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 then hopefully, you know, do a program that I want to start, maybe, you know, on a county level, the all the other trustees can do the same thing. But I, I just think it's a situation where, you know, they want to label people in that way. They want to oppress and suppress people. And we need not contribute to that. We need to do better. Absolutely. That's why I wish, you know, we, we had, you know, campaigns were publicly financed. Then that way we could have a diverse diversity of experiences as well. Because if you look at our state house, honestly, pretty much every, the vast majority have very similar life experience. I'm not saying everybody the same because there are no two people like even twins, even Nick and his brother ain't exact, right? They close though. Exactly right. It's yeah. Scary. Stay them close. Um, but 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 you have in the state house the vast majority are s older white males from Indiana having very similar experiences, and so when they're craft, say what? Or upper, uh, yeah, yeah, upper middle yeah. class or upper class. Yeah, right, yeah. Right. I, you know, not not long ago, uh, Dana, I, I spoke with this gentleman. He's a PC, um, a white gentleman, an older gentleman. Um, and really had no clue about the trustee and what the trustee does. Of course not. You know? He never and needed so it. And it, so it, it's, it's a, I'm sorry? He never needed it. Exactly. That's my point. That, that's my point. And so if you don't need it, you don't relate to it, you don't understand it, you know, it's just something that happens. And we need to, like I said, do better. Um, we need to get, I think, and again, if, God's, if it's God will for me to be the trustee, I want to be able to work with my senator and my representative to talk truly about the program that I want to start. I worked with the program for many years in New York City. It exists to this day. Um, and along with that program, as far as the public assistance is concerned, the individuals that work in the park system today, the transportation system in New York today, public assistance take care of their child care wow it's paid for by the program so you you, you have no excuse to yeah. not be more engaged in your life and helping yourself uh do better and wanting better yeah and i think i, I like the approach that you want to take in collaborating with both the upper and lower chambers of the state house because you know they're they may be in the position to write that legislation you know, that helps out the trustee offices. I mean, I just, I finished talking to uh, Clerk Brown uh, down out of uh, Monroe County and they have been given a mandate on election machines, but weren't getting, given any funding for it. And so if you're collaborating, yeah, man, yeah. So my point is they didn't collaborate, the people who wrote those bills didn't collaborate with the clerk's office in these counties right when they crafted this legislation so maybe you know creating those relationships from the different you know up and down 
you know, the, the government hierarchy, however you want to call it, whatever, you know, making sure that we're crafting legislation that's beneficial versus just harmful. And I think the point that I was making, though, about being all the same, if we had publicly financed candidates, then anybody can do it versus somebody that can afford to take off from work, right? right? Or is on a salary, right? Or, you know, has a nanny, I, I don't know, or a stay-at-home uh, spouse, you know, whatever it is. So I, I, we need diversity of thought in our state house, and we just don't have it. And I love that you were saying, I'm going to reach out to the people who are representing me in my in Pike Township in the state house to see if we can come up with, with some, some solutions to all of that. So you know what, y'all? I hate to say this, but it's the end of the show. So Claudette, <laughs> tell the people where they can find you if they want to support you. I put your cash app on the page so if people want to donate you can go ahead and get that cash app but tell the people where they can find you and help you out on your campaign well again most of the stuff is on uh i, I think did you get um the the uh the letter that was um put on facebook dana i d no i ain't gonna okay. lie to you but and anyway they, they can reach me at uh my personal number for us, 317-828-2206. My, if you want to donate, my cash app is dollar sign Peterson for Pike. My email address is cpeterson at gmail dot, I'm sorry, cpeterson for Pike at gmail.com. Okay. And are you having any events coming up? Any fundraisers? Any door I, I am. It, it, it's, it's in the works. Okay. Um, I'm going to be having a, uh, I think your thing, a karaoke uh um event on uh, april 8th i'm putting but, that on my calendar you know, now. Some, some 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 d i i i saw you at congressman carson's uh uh getting down um but anyway um we, we still uh have not uh didn't want to quite give the information out but we don't have a site just yet but that's the, the i'm goal. putting it on my calendar now though now because okay, you know I, i'm i'm uh, and I expect you to sing them. I, I don't karaoke, so you can you can uh, you can sing my song. Okay, <laughs> I'll select the song and you can sing it for me. I actually don't sing. I I, I find no, I all the hip hop songs because I can rap my behind off, but I can't sing you know, a note. Then, you know, I can't carry a you know, tune do, in a bucket, and and and, ooh, <laughs> and I can lip sync. So I I go to uh, Senator Bro's events. You know, she has her Mardi Gras. I'll go to Senator yes, Bro's yes. and and pretend like I can sing. That's I just like to have fun. Whenever there's music on, you got to have some fun. And, you know, I am not a, a stiff shirt. So <laughs> you around me, we going to have a good time. Nick, how's the <laughs> semester going? It's going well so far. It's going well so far. Uh, it's the halfway point And, you know, it's 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 not particularly easy because I'm getting up there in classes. But I got, I got a few extra classes already next week that are eight-week courses. But... Uh, just excited to graduate soon enough so that way I can, you know, devote myself full time to campaigns I, or whatever. I know that. Job I know that. Yeah. So, uh, y'all, he's in, in school. So, you know, come summertime, y'all better snatch him up. You better get him while he's hot. That's all I'm saying. He's, he's a bad mamma jamma. And if you like what Claudette <laughs> is talking about, find a way to support her campaign, donate. The Cash App is there. I'm certain that if you know if you want to reach out to her, she will give you all more more information, right? Because we only have an hour show. 
All right, that's my show for tonight. But let me, you know, I gotta close. Gotta close with something. (sighs) Governor Abbott, and I know we don't live in Texas, but you know what happens in Texas seems to seep its way up here in Indiana every time. I find it disturbing that he basically created an executive order to criminalize parents who want to be loving and gender affirming to their kids to the point where he started investigating parents for child abuse, for gender affirming care. Y'all may not understand what it is to be transgender. Y'all don't have to. Not really. And honestly, ain't none of your business. (laughs) But if it means the difference between a healthy human and an unhealthy human, don't you want a healthy human? You don't have to like what they do. You don't have to like who they are, but you do need to get out their business. If they have parents who have made the decision to provide gender-affirming care, health care to their child, shame on you for trying to criminalize their love. I just had to throw that out there because, again, I don't understand why people got to get all up in other people's business. I mean, my goodness. You going to go prosecute somebody for loving their child? You a sad human, and I hope Beto O'Rourke beats his behind. All right, Indiana Zone, Dana Black. Yo, I got two more candidates coming on next week. Make sure you tune in to all my candidates. Do you need online presence? Do you need somebody to come and shoot a video that is a reasonable price? Holla at your girl, Indiana Zone. I can shoot a 30-second spot for you so that you can use it for your social media pages, and that way you can have a social media presence. Reach out to me, Dana, at indianazone.com. We'll, I'll send you, you know, we'll talk about what you want to do. We'll send you an invoice. Yes, yes, I am registered. I am a real business. Because <laughs> you know people be asking. All right, so if you want somebody <laughs> to do something for you, get some videos out, holla at your girl. I can make it happen. All right, I'm Indiana Zone, Dana Black. Turn left. I'll holla at y'all next week. Peace. Turn Left is the property of Black Pearl IT Solutions. Executive producer, Indiana's own Dana Black. Music by www.binsound.com.